You are listening to the Progress Your Health Podcast, Episode 16. Welcome to the Progress Your Health Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. So last episode, we talked about stress, the negative effects that stress has on the body. And one of the main components of that, or one of the main consequences of stress is how it affects our sleep. We talk to people all the time that as they're going through certain transitions or certain circumstances in life, their stress levels tends to be very high, which then usually equates in poor sleep quality. And I'm sure all of you can relate when you're having a stressful period or there's stress in your life or there's something going on, or maybe there's like a, a meeting the next morning, or you have some kind of test the next morning. Cause you know, that stress is up. We all know we don't sleep very well the night before I can attest to that. Cause I'm not really naturally a very great sleeper to begin with. Even as a little kid, my parents used to lock my bedroom door because I would wake up in the middle of the night and go wandering around because I just am not a good sleeper. But I can definitely attest with moving here to Washington, it's been good stress, then some not so good stress, of course, too. But I don't think we've slept very well since we've been here. Well, not to mention, so I'm the opposite of you. So you've been traditionally not a very good sleeper. I've always been a really pretty good sleeper where I go to bed at a reasonable time and I don't really move much until I wake up in the morning. However, as of late, I think that this move, for one, the the daylight cycle here, the light-dark cycle is a little bit different. The sun comes up quite a bit later in Washington than it does in, in the Southwest. That has certainly had an impact. And of course, we have an elderly dog. His name is Simon Little Poodle. He gets up during the night. He doesn't have a very strong bladder anymore, or he can't really hold it. So he has to get up sometimes two and three times a night, which for me, I've never done well with a lots of interruptions during the night. I know, as you just said, traditionally, you've been kind of used to that. You seem to do okay with waking up a lot, and I've never done well waking up a lot. So that is also a little bit of a an adjustment. And I wake up sometimes in the morning, just like really having a hard time getting the day started because I've been woken up so many times during the night. Yeah. That doggy door back in Vegas was awesome. And you all are probably saying, well, if she wakes up a lot during the night, why isn't she taking the dog out? Uh, well, no, I don't, <laughs> I'm I don't. not going to go outside in the middle of the night. It's dark. I don't expect you to do that. There's I... animals. There's the boogeyman. <laughs> well, I don't expect I don't expect <laughs> you to take the dog out. That's fine. But you know, like I said, he is old. He when he's got to go, he's got to go. So if any of you had uh, older dogs, you certainly can understand. But the point of bringing this little uh, anecdote about the dog is that most of you or a lot of you that are having sleep trouble, you're doing the same thing. You're waking up multiple times a night. When we talk to people on a regular basis, they're waking up two, three, four, five times a night on an every night basis. And they have to get up and go to work and take care of the kids and do all the million things that you have to do. You know, pretty soon that's going to start to take a fairly significant toll on your body. Not to mention your, just your outlook, your perspective, your view of the world, your happiness, all those things are going to start to suffer because 
because you're not getting the rest and recuperation that you need at night. And that's true. When people think of insomnia or they, oh, are you an insomniac or are you, you know, do you have insomnia? They're always thinking about trouble falling asleep. Oh, I'm staying up past midnight or I'm watching TV or playing on the iPad or playing, you know, I have one person, she tells me she Facebooks herself to sleep every night because they think of insomnia as not being able to fall asleep. But really probably what I hear more than trouble falling to sleep, probably 80% of the time, it's not trouble falling asleep, it's trouble staying asleep. And like Dr. Mackey had mentioned, waking up multiple times in the night and then being able to fall back asleep. I mean, that's tough, but I probably get a large majority of patients that wake up in the middle of the night. Usually they sleep pretty hard for about three and a half hours, three hours, and then they're up for one to three hours a night. And then by the time they do fall back asleep, they only get maybe a shoddy sleep until it's time to wake up. And that's the thing that patients have a hard time working on because all of the sleep meds and even over-the-counter sleep meds you can buy at Walgreens, they only help people to fall asleep. They don't necessarily help them stay asleep. Yeah, I think that that is a big distinction. The Fitbits and all these different devices are really popular these days. Looking at your sleep or assessing your sleep, really all they do is just monitor movement. What if you're awake at night and you're kind of tossing and turning? Yeah, your sleep quality is going to be kind of rated poorly. Where as we were talking about I've been traditionally, a, up until recently, a fairly good sleeper. I sometimes go to bed in one position, wake up in the exact same position. Oh, I'm so jealous. That's I don't think you, I don't think, honestly, I don't think you've ever done that. No. I, don't, I don't think you've ever done but that. But I do have to say, you know, as a female, and I also drink water probably well past the time that I should, is us girls, sometimes we got to go to the bathroom. But as long as you get up, go to the bathroom, lay back down and go back to sleep, I think that's okay. So at least you maybe wake up once a night. Sometimes us girls twice a night. But like you said, waking up multiple times and it's not to go to the bathroom, then that's not very good sleep. Then you're not getting into the deep stages of sleep. So the, I won't get into the nitty gritty and the details of the five stages of sleep, but everybody thinks REM sleep, the dream sleep is the most important and it's not. In fact, having too much REM can make you exhausted the next day. You actually need a little bit of REM, but you want to go through the stages of sleep. But if you're waking up every 45 minutes, every hour or waking up multiple times, waking up for a long time, you're not getting into your deep sleep. Right, right. And then if you have that busy, stressful day, that the following day, you don't get that rest and recuperation. And then now it starts to, it's like a boat with a hole in it. You keep bailing water, but the boat's filling up faster than you can bail the water out. And pretty soon you're going to be in a not so good position or not so good place. And we're going to talk about weight later. Weight, of course, is another one of those major things that we hear from people all the time because they're frustrated. If you're not sleeping, then losing weight is going to be next to impossible because all of those hormones, leptin, cortisol, insulin, all the things that are controlling your weight management kind of on a brain, adrenal gland, pancreas, liver level, all those hormones are basically balanced or optimized when you're sleeping. So if you're sleeping well, you're going to be able to maintain or you're going to actually be able to lose weight fairly, I wouldn't say easy, but easier if you're not sleeping, that's where your priority needs to be placed first. Not going to the gym six days a week. We'll talk about that in a little bit. We mentioned it on the last one because that is only going to make your sleep worse. The sleep needs to be kind of put at the top of the priority list when we're talking about from a weight perspective and just how we feel, right? We need to have good quality sleep. And then also on a separate note that we'll get into in another podcast is hot flashes and night sweats. So of course, if you're having hot flashes and night sweats, maybe it's due to menopause, then that's going to wake you up periodically throughout the night. So that's a whole nother podcast in itself. Yeah, right. And so we'll talk a little bit about a pattern that we see quite often. 
you know, a lot of times people will tell us that they get this significant energy drop, usually between, a, let's say, 2 to 5 o'clock or 1.30 to 4.30. There's this window where they get this significant energy drop. And then after dinner, there is usually an increase to energy. Right, you get this the proverbial second wind right about the time when you should be thinking about going to sleep. You get this kind of significant rise, and I know your patients do the same thing. That's when they start doing housework. They start doing the dishes. They start doing the laundry. They start doing things around the house because now they actually have the energy to do it. And then they try to go to bed, and they can't shut the power back off. Right, they're awake. They can't fall asleep and now they stay up later than they should, midnight, one o'clock, you know, something like that, because they're just not tired because they know if they went and laid down at 10 or 11, they would just lay there for two or three hours anyways. That's something that we see a lot as the trouble falling asleep. Now, uh, percentage wise, do you have any idea like how often you hear about that side? You know, that is probably pretty popular. Maybe... To be honest, may, not as popular as you'd think, maybe about 30%, because most of the time when people end up coming to me, I'll ask them, do you get that second wind at night? And they say, I used to, but now, no, I yeah. wish. <laughs> no. Yeah, right. So right there is when they kind of transition through this. Now they're just too exhausted to be able to get that second wind, right? Their body was responding before in a compensatory manner, but now that's even further beyond that. And now they're just crashing at night. Then that's when the, the nighttime festivities start. Yeah, when they wake up in the middle of the night. Yeah. That, yeah, they, they crash at night because they're exhausted because they've been exhausted all day. And then they'll wake up. And they're not getting that restful sleep through the night. And I think you would mention that, that, you know, like we had talked about, that's about cortisol. And then the diurnal curve or the lifespan of cortisol as it moves around through the day in our body. Yeah, right. It's supposed to be high in the morning, get us up, out of bed, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. And it's supposed to be low when the sun goes down, you know, during the night. So we can actually get the rest and recuperation that we need. And then it's supposed to rise again first thing in the morning. But I I, you know, I think for so many people, because of society, right, not because we're doing anything wrong, although society has kind of geared us in a way that, as we mentioned on the last one, it, it kind of goes against the hormonal grain like all the time. So now you're you know, your cortisol is just kind of oscillating all throughout the night and it's rising. It's higher at the wrong time of the 24 hour cycle than it's supposed to be. No, that's true. So I think, you know, there's all different stages, as they say, of adrenal dysfunction. That one you were talking about getting that second wind is that cortisol is coming up at night. And so you actually feel pretty good and you want to talk and get things done. But eventually the cortisol just doesn't come up at night and you're kind of sort of perpetually exhausted. And it's interesting because because the cortisol comes up and it's bouncing around at night, people will have nightmares because the body's trying to wake them up because you're not supposed to be asleep if your cortisol's coming up. People will wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety. So they'll say anxiety, kind of doom, gloom thoughts, every weight of the world problem is on your shoulder at 2.30 to 3.30 in the morning. But then in the morning, those problems don't really seem necessarily as enormous as they felt like in the middle of the night. And I think that's because that your body is trying to get you up to run away from something it thinks it's being pursued by. Yeah, right. You hear women will kind of refer to that as they wake up with their mind racing all the time. They can't catch up with their thoughts. They're thinking about the day before. They're thinking about the following day. They're thinking about the million things they got to get done. So yeah, and there's definitely some reoccurring patterns and characteristics that we see on a consistent basis. And unfortunately, like you said, pharmaceutical whether it's over the counter, like a sleep aid of some sort, or if it's a prescription, they don't really do very, you know, as prescriptions, those are what they call hypnotics as a class. You know, they only get people to actually fall asleep. They do nothing really to keep people asleep throughout the rest of the night, which is really 
in some ways, like you said, the bigger problem and the harder one to solve. Oh yeah. And then they get, you know, addicted to it. And most over the counter sleep aids are like Benadryl. They're basically all Benadryl just wrapped in a different name. They only have about a three hour lifespan anyway. So sure, you might be able to, to fall asleep with it, but you're not going to stay asleep. And a lot of those, which like I said, I won't get into the whole details of it, but a lot of those sleep aids, whether even if it's Ambien or, you know, or Benadryl, you only get into about stage two sleep. You don't get into stage three and four, which is the most beneficial. So you're really not getting the beneficial sleep for your immune system, for cellular turnover, for rest and relaxation. So, you know, sure, if you're going to go on vacation or you got jet lag, those things will be fine temporarily, but you don't want to use them as your crutch. No, no, no. And Benadryl, um, using, which is as a antihistamine, as a class of medications, that's been shown to actually increase the rate or the risk of d- developing dementia. So like I said, maybe once in a while it can be used, but it should not be used on a reoccurring basis. Histamine is a very important neurotransmitter, and you don't want to be pharmaceutically manipulating that on a consistent basis just because you haven't been able to sleep very well. Now, granted, I get it. People are desperate. People are totally desperate. They'll do anything to get a good night's sleep. But some of those options, we're going to talk about some of the better options that we think are positive because they don't have that downside that some of the medications either over-the-counter or prescriptions do. Yeah, like the melatonin. You had talked about melatonin. I like melatonin. Some people don't like it because they feel a little groggy the next day, and there's a lot of varying theories on why that is. But melatonin is another one that only helps you fall asleep. Melatonin doesn't necessarily help you stay asleep. So if you have trouble falling asleep, melatonin is a good option, and it's not addictive, but it's a good option. And I think that we've noticed, and even some of the research, you know, most adults they just don't respond to it very well. That morning, you know, melatonin hangover, I think, is somewhat normal. Normal in the beginning usually is an indication that you're actually finally sleeping. And if you do get that, you should try to push through that for maybe uh, five to seven days or so, because that could actually be a positive sign. Your body will actually get used to that in some cases. And then for other people, melatonin just doesn't flat out, it just doesn't work at all. They don't feel any different. It doesn't help them fall asleep, stay asleep. They don't feel really anything. Now that might be the dosage form, whether they're taking enough or if it is, uh, you know, and we encourage you to be taking a sublingual melatonin. So a little tablet you place underneath your tongue that is a little bit of an easier route of entry going through the mucous membrane in your mouth as opposed to swallowing it and then it having to go through your liver and then to get to your brain where it has its action or its effect. So somebody that might be deficient in melatonin because melatonin is a hormone that we make it probably does help. But what we're talking about is with stress, it's the cortisol. So what we're trying to do is try to bring down that cortisol at night. And if you bring down the cortisol at night, then it'll naturally want to come up in the morning. So you can try to reestablish that diurnal curve. Yeah, right. Which that medication wise, that is an impossible thing to do, right? There's no medications out there that can really do that. So that's why when you're thinking about sleep, you have to think about the adrenals because cortisol really causes most of the problems. And when you're trying to affect the sleep by reducing cortisol at night, you can also have an impact on that by focusing on cortisol or the adrenals in the morning. By bringing up the adrenals in the morning, we'll also lower it at night as well. So you can kind of do both. And sometimes you have to do both, support them in the morning to get them up. And then also doing something to kind of not suppress it because it doesn't really work that way. You can't really, you know, there's no supplement or medication to suppress it, but there are some things that do a fairly good job at quote unquote, reducing cortisol. Not in a pharmaceutical type of way, but in a calm kind of relaxing sort of way, if that makes any sense. So that way your brain can 
shut off the power and be able to get a good night's sleep and consistently as much uninterrupted hours during that night as possible. The number of hours I don't think is important. Would you agree that the number of hours is not as important as the quality of those hours? Oh, the quality. Definitely the quality. Yeah. And we talk to people all the time and have them kind of give their sleep a letter grade, A to an F, just like in school, right? You know, how would you grade your sleep on a nightly basis? And we probably should have started talking about that so you can relate it to yourself. And routinely, women will come back and say that they grade their sleep like a somewhere in the D to C range. I think I've had one woman ever would rate her sleep as an A, couple of Bs here and there. Most women that are coming to us already have a problem anyways, just in general, whatever those problems might be. And they're always grading their sleep, which is their own kind of interpretation of that. But they're always in the C to, you know, the F to a C range, you know, somewhere in there. So... Our goal is to get you into that consistently on a weekly basis to get you into that B range most of the week. So five days a week, you're getting good quality sleep. And then, you know, there's a couple of days you might have one bad night where it's a D or F. Maybe you had a a bad day at work or just a really crummy day and you can't sleep that well. And then maybe another day is not quite as bad. You'd rate that one as a C or something. So at least the, the more days of the week you're getting that good quality, it's not the boat with the hole in it isn't the water isn't going to fill up so fast. You're actually able to rest, recuperate, and keep moving forward. And that's where I think the supplementation comes in. Because like you said, you might have a meeting the next day or you might have, you know, plane you got to catch the next day. So your cortisol is going to be up. So you've got that supplementation to help bring down that cortisol. Of course, you definitely want to start first and foremost with the lifestyle changes. Like we had talked about on the last podcast is the intense cardiovascular exercise. You don't want to do intense cardiovascular exercise every day because that's going to raise up your cortisol, which is going to mess with your sleep. And you certainly don't want to do it in the evening time. And, you know, trust me, I like to exercise at night because I'm usually pretty busy and I want to get everything done during the day. And then I have an open time in the evening, but definitely doing something hardcore cardio is going to keep you from sleeping because it raises up your cortisol. So there you are raising up your cortisol at night when you shouldn't be. We'd also talked about balancing the blood sugar. So a lot of people, like Dr. Mackey talked on the last podcast, they don't eat, you know, may have some breakfast. I have a smoothie. I have maybe a skip lunch because there's just no time. And then you start eating a lot in the evening or when those afternoon cravings come in because you're tired between one and three, then you have a little cookie or some chocolate or some M&Ms and then you start eating and then you have a big dinner. That's going to mess with your blood sugar. Or as I had mentioned on the last podcast is if you eat dinner, which, you know, I like to eat dinner early, you know, six, six thirty, but then you don't eat anything else by the time two or three rolls around in the morning, your blood sugar is So of course your cortisol is going to come up to try to bring up your blood sugar. So having a, like an evening snack, just like a little tiny bedtime snack of fat and protein will usually help balance out that blood sugar to help you sleep better. You had also mentioned the coffee, right? Notorious coffee. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, you can't talk about insomnia without talking about coffee and caffeine intake. Caffeine, most people don't realize, but caffeine has a really long half-life, meaning that it stays in your bloodstream. It doesn't get metabolized for a while. Usually the average is about eight to 12 hours. The size of the person, the size of the liver will dictate. And then of course, genetics will dictate how quickly your body actually metabolizes that caffeine. Some people are, they're fast 
metabolizers and some people are really slow metabolizers. Usually the slow metabolizers are the ones that don't do well with lots of coffee. They already kind of know that, right? If you're one of those people out there that just can't have coffee, you're a slow metabolizer. That's a kind of a genetic predisposition and you've kind of already figured it out that you just don't do well. I think a lot of people probably do way more caffeine than they probably should. And caffeine is because of that long half-life. Whatever you have at six, seven, eight o'clock in the morning is not being metabolized until later that afternoon. That coffee consumption every single day is kind of a cumulative effect, meaning that it kind of builds up over time. So if you're consuming a consistent amount of coffee, it might behoove you to actually reduce the amount that you're consuming. Cut it in half. If you're doing one cup, you're having sleep trouble, go to half cap. If you're having two cups, go to one cup. If you're having three cups, go to one cup. You need to cut back that caffeine consumption just to take out that caffeine burden down at least a little bit. I mean, wouldn't you agree it's kind of unrealistic for some people to cut it out completely, but some people may actually have to cut it out temporarily to see if their sleep quality does change. Yeah, or, you know, I do think green tea probably is a nice option or decaf is good too, because you're right, not everybody wants to cut all that out. But, you know, we still have plenty of patients that don't drink caffeine. They make sure they allot enough hours at night, you know, seven to some people nine hours at night to try to sleep and they, they don't exercise. Maybe they just do some walking, which I think walking is a great form of exercise for the adrenal glands and they still have trouble sleeping. So that's when the supplementation comes in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, like I said, you could have all these lifestyle things kind of dialed in and it's predominantly a woman's issue. Like I said, there's still no success, you know, when they're trying to get a good night's sleep. So we're not trying to de-emphasize the lifestyle stuff. Some of that stuff is important. And caffeine and exercise are probably the two most important. And the exercise piece, I think gets missed a lot. You know, raising your heart rate to burn calories, it doesn't work like that. All you're really doing is manipulating in a negative way. You're manipulating your cortisol. So pay attention. If you're going to exercise after work and you're having trouble sleeping, see what your sleep is like on the days that you don't exercise. And if you're exercising more than three days a week, then you need to cut it back to three days a week or less. And then that way you can give an idea if your sleep quality actually improves or not. And then there's patients that we have, and I'm sure a lot of you can relate. There's situational stressors. They're not going to go away. It's going to raise your cortisol up. And they, I like I was kind of, we're sort of like, sadly laughing with a patient the other day we were talking about her divorce and how everyone's like well you need to eat and you need to sleep and is it not going to happen yeah no when you're going through that kind of something traumatic like that you're not going to eat you're not going to sleep and that's just the way it is so what can we do in this time and moment of you know to try to at least balance your system for the long term or at least for the short term you know it's always like that or i have patients they went through a, a major stressor or an accident or a family member is hurt you know there's just lots of big stressors out there that cause that cortisol to go up and then they're they can't sleep they can't eat or a lot of times people tell me is they they're stressed out and so they tend to eat too much. So it's, you know, tr really I think that cortisol is a something that'll save your life because we need it. Without it, we're going to die. But we also have to try to balance it. Yeah. And as I said already, that American lifestyle is just an adrenal assault on a regular basis, right? That is... You know, how these things manifest on a daily basis is kind of the manifestation of, you know, our hormones being manipulated on a regular basis. And you and I, when we were in school, we really never set out necessarily to 
we never thought in our mind we're going to become we're going to deal with hormones exclusively right we never thought of it that way but over time as these problems keep coming and coming and coming you have to help your patients get find solutions to those problems you realize or at least we realize that almost everything that people are dealing with in some ways it relates back to some kind of a hormone sleep is a hormonal process you are sleeping and waking because of hormones and it is so much attuned to the light cycles you know you mentioned ipads and phones and tvs and computers all this stimulation that we have in addition to everything else it's no wonder why we have a kind of a chronically sleep deprived nation so before we run out, of, run out of time, let's dive into, you mentioned melatonin already. It's worth a try for those people that are having trouble falling asleep. So if you're laying there for an hour or longer, 45 minutes, an hour, two hours, melatonin is at least worth a try. However, when we're talking supplementation, and now the disclaimer is all of this stuff we're talking about does not replace medical advice. So talk to your doctor beforehand. At least that's what we're supposed to say. But we're also telling you this because we know that your doctor doesn't have any other options for you besides those prescriptions. And so we feel it's worthwhile to at least share this information because we've seen it help lots and lots of people. You know, we want to share it with even more because these kind of critical issues, we need to have good, safe effective solutions for them. Yeah, and there's a, actually a few different ways to bring down cortisol. What I like to work on is GABA. By raising up GABA, you bring down cortisol. So that's one way to balance it. Of course, we do hormones too, which I'm, we're going to get into the next episode about progesterone and how that works with cortisol and hot flashes and night sweats. But I think raising up GABA, in fact, we have a couple of sleep protocols. We have two sleep protocols that one is for people that have trouble falling asleep and one is for people that have trouble staying asleep. And I think, like I said, most people have trouble staying asleep. Yeah, right. So the melatonin one, which is what we would call like our sleep protocol one, or that is the one that is having trouble falling asleep. And it's, like I said, the melatonin side doesn't always work for every adult, but there are certain situations where it does. And it, I think it's a cheap enough and easy enough experiment just to see if it helps you. But it should be something that you can use kind of temporarily. You shouldn't need to use it on an ongoing basis. Now, the other side, the sleep protocol two that we like to call it, that is the, like you said, the one you see more often when you're just restless and you're just waking up three, four or five times a night sometimes, that's the harder problem to solve. Yeah, so I had mentioned GABA. I mean, you can go to a health food store and there's rows and rows of GABA you can buy as a supplement, but it's such a big molecule that it's very hard to digest. And if you can digest part of it, it has a very hard time crossing the blood-brain barrier. So what I like to use is a precursor to GABA, 3-amino-4-phenobuteric acid, is that as a precursor, your body can digest it, it can cross the blood-brain barrier, and then if needed, it'll convert into GABA, and then it can stimulate those GABA receptors while at the same time, by doing that, it reduces down the cortisol. So that's what I use for people that have trouble staying asleep. Taking a precursor to GABA isn't going to help you fall asleep, but it'll definitely help you stay asleep. And that's in our protocol too. Yeah, right. That is, uh, we found that the product that we like to use is called Cavanase. It, it just works really well. And it doesn't, you know, again, this is supplementation, so it doesn't always work for everyone. And that's why we have protocols. It's not that you're going to take one thing and it's going to work like a drug does. Oh, I wish. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> it doesn't really work like that. But we've learned that by kind of stacking a few things together and again, creating a protocol, now you can come at that sleep problem from a couple of different angles and the synergy of them together really seems to work better that way. So manipulating in a very positive way, GABA is one aspect of that. Using a, a simple amino acid called glycine, glycine has 
been shown to actually reduce cortisol levels. It works really well for those people that have that mind waking up in the night with the anxiousness and the mind racing during the middle of the night. And glycine tends to do a good job of that. It comes in a kind of in a powder form. So you just mix a little bit in some water, one to two teaspoons, and that can be a great way to bring that cortisol down again prior to going to bed so that now you're able to get that nice, consistent, uninterrupted sleep during the night. Yeah, so by combining glycine with that precursor to GABA, and then also sometimes you will add in with that sleep protocol too, something to bring down the cortisol that has some phosphatidylserine in there, some different you know herbs to kind of bring down the cortisol. When you use that combination, it's great for staying asleep. But the cool thing is, is that it doesn't make you tired the next morning, which honestly, uh, people will take those over-the-counter medications and they feel terrible the next morning. You know, they feel foggy brain, they kind of have a headache, they just feel like there's like a wet washcloth over their head is that's the cool thing is we're not necessarily using these things to as like a band-aid they actually after a while you restore the sleep and then I have some people they don't even use it anymore and then they might hit a stressor in their life or something happens or maybe the time changes with you know like in November when the time changes or, or March and um, spring when the time changes then they got to implement it again so actually the whole goal is to help you restore your sleep not take something that's just gonna you have to take for the rest of your life yeah right yeah that's where something is actually working with you as opposed to working against you or not really even against you but making you somewhat habituated to it that's not really the goal the goal isn't for you to be on that for the rest of your life. The goal is to get your sleep because sleep is a normal thing, right? You know, I've been camping many times. You go out in the woods and there's nothing but campfire. You know, it's pretty easy to fall asleep at a reasonable time because there's no light around as long as you don't have an iPad or a phone on or a computer on. It's pretty easy, at least after a couple of days anyways, to start falling asleep at a reasonable time because the light that's emitted from the campfire isn't really enough to keep you awake and you just get tired and you can't fight it anymore. You have to go to sleep. But in our homes, especially after a long, busy day, we have all the stimulation around us constantly. It really does interfere with that hormonal sleep cycle. And you throw some stress on top of that. And now it's like an impossibility. So the things we're talking about are things that we've used with people. We've had lots of success with. Not with everyone. Some it's challenging. But the majority of the time when used the way that we recommend, it can be very beneficial. So you can check the show notes. We'll have the links to the things that we mentioned there. You don't have to remember what we talked about. But for those of you that are having sleep trouble and don't really know where to turn, this might be helpful for you. That is funny you said that. I have so many people, and myself included, not just camping. You go on vacation and you sleep so much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. We get a, you know, I mean, that's why vacations are somewhat nice, right? Because you get a break from all the stuff that's going on on a regular basis. And if anything, you just kind of get a mental break. All the things that are in our head all the time. That's where we talked about on the last episode. We don't really have the physical stressors anymore. These are all just psychological things that just weigh in our brain constantly. What does that do? That, that affects our sleep. You know, as I said, when we need to sleep the most, we sleep the worst. The more our stress or the more consistent the stress, the worse we sleep over time. That has to be, especially when weight is your goal. And we know for a lot of you listening, that is your goal. That's your ultimate goal. You want to drop 30, 40, 50 pounds or more. The sleep is the first place to start. That's why we spend so much time talking about it. That's why we try to improve it as much as we can because it's really important. 
Yeah. So if anybody's interested in any of those products, just go, like you said, the show notes or go on the website. Yeah. Website, progressionhealth.com. And then if you do have any specific questions, we set up an email is help at progressionhealth.com. We've kind of set that up specifically for this podcast. So that way we can kind of keep track of where those questions come in. Like we said, we might not be able to get back to you directly on every single question, but we will probably address those questions in some way on the podcast or in some other fashion in the future. So your questions do get answered. Because again, if you have that question, there's probably hundreds, if not thousands of other people that have a similar question. And we want everyone to be able to benefit from those questions. So we'll start with that and we'll figure out some other way to communicate those things. Like I said, whether it's on the podcast or Facebook or something else. Yeah, no, that sounds good. So I guess now Dr. Rob's going to make me go to the gym because it's the morning time so we can go. But maybe I might try to twist his arm and not go. Yeah, we're going to go to the gym <laughs> it's today. It's the morning. Okay, let's yeah. go. So until uh, the next episode, this is Dr. Mackey. Dr. Davidson. Have a good day. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.